0: If you want to open up Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. So, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 39, and sort of our our, our sentence for this morning um, that we're going to kind of work off of. Um, the sentence that we've been working off of, um, I'll remind us of, because I think it's still prudent uh, for us this morning, is the good news of Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament, it is historically accurate, and is spiritually reliable. I've said that the last couple of weeks, the good news of Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament, is historically accurate, and is spiritually reliable, is something that I'm sure probably throughout our time as we go through the Gospel of Luke is something that we will be coming back to again and again and again, because I think those truths are all throughout this gospel. And so for this morning, we're going to narrow that down a bit and we'll see traces of that. But this morning, our, our, our thing to work off of, the truth that I want us to, to set our sights on and to have as our background as we read our text this morning and talk about it, is this. Our highest dignity is realized... When we believe that God shows mercy to the needy, our highest dignity is realized when we believe that God shows mercy to the needy. So we're going to walk through basically three words that are found in there. We're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about dignity, and we're going to talk about mercy. So let's read our text this morning, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, and we're going to go... Through verse 56. So Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry Blessed are you among women! in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So we have a continuing of the stories that we've talked about the last um, three Sundays. So we're picking up there in verse 39. In those days Mary arose. So this is after the angel Gabriel has come to Mary which was after the angel Gabriel has come to Elizabeth and Zechariah, or to Zechariah specifically. And John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth, who is a relative of Mary. And so Mary gets this word from the angel Gabriel and says, you're going to carry in your womb the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and... Mary flees. No, she doesn't flee, but, I mean, she goes. Um, I don't know. Maybe she intentionally wanted to hide herself for a a little bit of time and and gather her thoughts and figure out what in the world was going on, what was about to happen. But she goes with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And so this is apparently where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. And she greets Elizabeth. Verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again because it's something that we'll see again next week and throughout the Gospel of Luke. There is an importance upon the Holy Spirit that Luke has. We read it in Acts chapter 15 that Dante read so wonderfully for us um, before I got up here to start talking. It was said in Acts chapter 15 that, look, the Gentiles have received the Spirit just like we have. We're Jews, and we would expect God to pour out His Spirit upon His people. But apparently now, in the course of Christ having been born and lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserved, and being raised then from the dead, and then the disciples being empowered with the Holy Spirit in the beginning of Acts, and the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, and the church growing and them growing in numbers and more and more people entering into the church and entering into relationship with God that is good. God gives His Spirit to all who believe. And that's what was mentioned in Acts chapter 15. And, and Luke is writing that book of Acts. And even from the earliest signs of what we have and the story that Luke gives us, from either Luke or Acts, is this importance on the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How was Mary going to conceive? Well, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her. So just continue to have that in your mind. And notice a couple things. This is not really um, central to what we're talking about this morning, but it is worth mentioning, because it is here and it is kind of explicit, Verse 41, read this again. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And I'll keep reading. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Notice that babies in the womb can respond to spiritual stimuli. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? I I, I don't think we have a problem with those of us here in believing that fetuses, that babies in the womb are actual legitimate humans and that they can respond to particular external stimuli and even internal stimuli. It was said to Zechariah from the angel Gabriel that John the Baptist would have the Spirit from inside the womb, that the Spirit, this new thing that God was doing in bringing salvation to His people. Hundreds of years He had been silent, and now He was going to begin a new age, a new work in the world. And He was going to have this baby promised to Zechariah be filled with the Holy Spirit so that He could be the forerunner and say, prepare your hearts for Jesus Christ who is to come. And so, even from the womb, it's promised that John the Baptist was going to have the Holy Spirit, and even his mother is said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit at least at this moment in time, and respond then to the Holy Spirit's presence. Isn't it amazing that even a baby in the womb can respond because they actually are humans? But Not that that's beside the point, but that's just an extra point, Um, so... There you go. That's for free. You don't have to pay for that one. Um, so, back to wh- where we were. <laughs> Get myself back on track. Um, what an amazing response. Right? I mean, just look at how Elizabeth describes Mary. And, and not just how Elizabeth describes Mary, but how Elizabeth describes the baby that Mary is carrying. We're never told, and it doesn't seem like there has been time, for Elizabeth to have heard about the news of the angel also visiting Mary, about Mary having the Son of God within her womb at this time. But Elizabeth is able to exclaim at the greeting of Mary. So when they first meet up, having no prior knowledge Luke never giving us any clue that Elizabeth should have known this because the word had spread. No, the word hadn't spread, but she's able to say, verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, what is commended um, by Mary? I I, I mentioned it last week, and I I mentioned it again. There, clearly, in these first couple chapters of Luke, Mary is a central figure in what is happening because Jesus had to come into the world somehow, and He was going to come as it was promised in Genesis chapter 3. That the seed of the woman, that the fruit of the woman was going to be the one who is actually going to crush the head of the serpent. And so this is how God, all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, is going to accomplish and fulfill His promise that He made to the first people on this earth, to Adam and Eve, He made this promise that He was going to come, He was going to send the seed of the woman to accomplish all that needed to be done for our salvation to make things right again when Adam and Eve had made them wrong. God had promised this and now Mary being the central figure in Luke chapters 1 and 2 what is commended of her? It's commended of her that she is faithful and so we should congratulate her we should look upon her as an example of someone who is faithful. There are some Religious organizations that venerate Mary, that put Mary on a pedestal and say, sometimes Mary is even, these people believe, even a like equal with Jesus on being able to bring salvation. There are some who believe that. And so what's difficult is when I don't come from that background and I try to refrain from going anywhere near that far. And so look at Mary and how she is presented to us. And so don't act like she's nothing in this story, but also don't elevate her to a place where she doesn't belong. And so we can see what is it that Elizabeth, being filled with the Holy Spirit, says about Mary. She says, you're blessed because you believed, because you had faith, because you thought that before it actually happened, God was going to fulfill His promise to you, that God gave you a word through the angel Gabriel and that you believed God's word as it was given to you. That's what's commended of her. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Her faith is commended. And notice where her faith is at and where her view of God is at. Skip down to verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in who? In God my Savior. See, she is not able to save us, but she herself, from the beginning of, you know, basically the second words that we hear from her in Luke chapter 1 are, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She recognizes where her own salvation comes from. She recognizes that her salvation comes from the Lord. And that's where we should recognize our salvation comes from, is from the Lord. We have to believe that. Now, she believed that because of, you know, she was a good little Jewish girl, I guess. Right? I mean, it doesn't even tell us that. We don't even know anything about Mary. We mentioned that last week. But clearly, she has faith, and she believes what the Lord promises to her. And she has that to look forward to. Notice how Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. We are on the other side of that. She had to believe something that was going to happen. She believed all that God had said in the Old Testament, but now a new work was happening, and she had to believe something that was yet to come. We are able to look back and say, this has been done, but it still requires faith from us. Because what is spiritual... With our physical eyes does not always match up with what we hear and see. But once our eyes are opened, we are able to see how all of these things in the physical world relate to the spiritual truths that we find in God's Word. We're able to look back, and what a privilege it is that we're able to look back and see that God has fulfilled all of these promises. And there are still promises yet to be fulfilled. We're yet to see Him face to face, but we're promised to come before Him, and, and when we believe what He has done for us and that we have needed His salvation, as Mary believed, that she needed her salvation to come from God, that we can be with Him forevermore. That hasn't happened yet. So there are still things that we have to look forward to that have not yet been fulfilled, but the bulk of the work that we have needed to be done on our behalf has been done by Christ through His life, through His death and through His resurrection. And we find, as we continue looking at this, that we are, we are able to find our, our dignity most as humans when we believe these spiritual truths that are reliable. Our, our statement that I, I made in the beginning, our highest dignity is realized when we believe that God shows mercy to the needy. In and of ourselves, look at, uh, we'll read first. Read verses 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When it comes to the idea of dignity and worth and value as humans, oftentimes in this world, in America, it has put to us the question of what can you bring to the table? What, what can you offer in this situation? Your value oftentimes is sort of boiled down into what's your productivity level and, and how, how does that help me out? How, how does that help this business out? How does that help society out? Your worth oftentimes is, is expressed by our society as what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me now? What are you going to be able to do for me in the future? Our worth in our culture is oftentimes found in how we look, it's oftentimes found in what we're able to produce, it is found in our personality. It's found in how powerful we are. It's it's found in how much money we have or how much money we've been able to attain. It's found in the skills that we possess. We go to school for years and years to to do a certain job. Well, you're only worthwhile whenever you finally get to that end and you have the degree and then you're able to actually go out into the workforce. But if you never go get a degree, then, then you're not worth anything. This is what oftentimes our society will say. And, and and even so you might still find fragments of our population of our society of our culture that say that that sort of have begun to try to turn that a little bit and say no your worth is just found in 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 who you are naturally and and and, and you should love yourself for who you are and and you should find your satisfaction in and and just what you bring to the table no matter what it is that you bring to the table and and that you should find that you're able to be self-dependent. You're good enough in and of yourselves. Like this is what some segments of our culture are, are beginning to tell us. You, you, don't, you don't need other people. You're self-fulfilled. And, and no matter where you are in that scale and that spectrum and in the, in the, the lies that our culture tells us, we must know and maybe this goes back to the, our side point, our extra point, that we are worthwhile simply because we're humans. We have dignity simply because we are humans. God tells us that He created us, man and woman, in His own image. Male and female, He created us. And that we have worth because we were created particularly to glory in Him. Because He created us. We have worth simply because He created us. And so I I want to make that clear to us this morning that we have worth as humans, that all humans have worth because we have been created by God, period. But our highest dignity, our highest worth is found, is realized, when we believe that God shows mercy to the needy. Our highest dignity is not found whenever we find satisfaction in and of ourselves, when we say that I'm able to bring to the table everything that I need. No, it's when we realize that God loves to exalt the humble, when God loves to bring down those who are proud. He exalts the humble and He tears down those who think they are good enough in and of themselves. And so we can find our worth, we can find our highest worth whenever we submit ourselves to the spiritual truth that we need a Savior. And this is what's commended from Mary in her faith. This is why it is so important that we talk over and over and over again about believing not the lies that this culture has for you, but believing the truths that we find in Scripture that we have the ability to come to grips with understanding who we are, who we have been created to be when we find our worth in Christ, when we find that we have all that we need in Christ, we do have all that we need in Christ. And, and if you don't believe that you're a sinner, if you don't believe that you need God, if you don't believe that you need anybody else to help you out or to do anything for you, then that's when he talks about the proud. That's when he talks about, or maybe there's a refrain from, God showing mercy to those people who don't think that they need it. How does God talk about mercy? We can continue on in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Notice a couple times in there you have the word mercy. We'll see it again next week in Zechariah's song and his Praise to God, of talking about God's mercy. This is so central to Luke's gospel because it's so central to the Word of God and to the truths of how God has created this world. The truth that God is the creator of this world. And as the creator of this world, God owns everything. And God has ordered everything in a certain way so that He is at the top, so that He is to be seen as the one who is worthy of all our praise. And so if we see Him as that, then we rightfully would see ourselves as being of low estate, of, of having nothing to offer, to bring to the table, but our lives, all of who we are, and saying, God, I, I have nothing to give to you that is not already yours, and I need your mercy because I have sinned, because I'm a sinner, because I've, I've gone my own way, I've done my own thing. And when we realize that truth, when we truly understand that, at at that time, at that moment, as long as we live according to that, we are able to understand and to live out the image of God properly. When God allows us to recognize that truth, that we are those who are needy, that we are those who need mercy. God delights in showing up in those moments and saying, you don't have anything, and you know you don't have anything, but you want me, and I'm going to give you more of me. And, and sometimes He'll give you stuff. But I think sometimes... Whenever we read verses like what we've just read and like verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. We can easily take that a bit out of context and say, well, see, if you're you're poor and you're needy and you're hungry and you just pray to God, well, He's going to satisfy you. He's going to make you feel full. Well, no, I don't think that's what he's saying. I mean, I do think it's proper that we recognize that we get our daily bread from God, that God provides us with the food that we need to continue to live and function in this world. But he, the good things that He gives us, I think the hungry there is more than just the physically hungry, though it is the physically hungry. I think the hungry there is the hungry the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness— I mean, you see so many parallels between what I prayed from 1 Samuel 2 and Hannah's prayer. If you remember how he exalts in that, he exalts the lowly. It's the same thing here in Luke chapter 1. And you can look in Luke chapter 6, I think it is, in um, what in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God will give you more of himself as you realize more and more that you need him and that you cannot be sufficient in and of yourself. He loves to honor and to work and to be in the midst of a people who treat him as God properly and who submit themselves as servants to him but those who are proud, the mercy isn't shown to them in the way it's shown to us. Mercy isn't shown to them in the ways that we have experienced it. And so what, what, what do we do here? What, what do we do as, as believers, as Christians who have understood that our life is most fulfilled that we find our highest dignity whenever we recognize that we ourselves are the needy and that we ourselves are the ones who need mercy from God. What do we do with that information? Well, act like that is actually true in all areas of your life. Recognize that the skills that you have that you've been able to train up with are because God has gifted you with the mind and hands to be able to do those things. Recognize that those gifts come from God, that you haven't earned them, but that that has been a gracious gift of God toward you. Then also recognize that your brain and your mind and your heart, the grace that He has shown you, is not because you're smart enough to have figured it out, We can all come to an intellectual understanding of the gospel, but we have to submit ourselves. We have to submit ourselves to the truth of that. We have to put our will, our heart, our soul under submission to that truth. And that He, in those moments, infuses us with an understanding of His grace. And more and more of himself. And how wonderful that is. And how when we experience that, we want other people to experience that. What's so amazing about how God has designed this world is that we are able to communicate to other people the truth of God and His Word. He has given us His Word and He has given us His Spirit as believers as those Gentiles that were talked about in Acts chapter 15, in similar ways as what Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist was led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We too, as believers in the New Testament age, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gives us the Spirit, not just for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of others to show others, to tell others, to speak to others, to encourage others, to say, look at God and look at His Word and look at the promises that He has made and look at the promises that He has fulfilled and look at the promises that He will fulfill. And we call people to believe. We call people to come to a realization of that themselves because we don't want to understand this alone. We don't want to be in this life alone understanding these things and living out these things. But how much better it is! When all of creation, when all humans are able to understand and realize the potential that is at their fingertips, when they humble themselves and recognize their need for a Savior in the same way that Mary believed it, the same way that we believe it. And so we exist as a church in order to promote showing that people have dignity, even if they're not believers but that you can only find the highest dignity that this life has to offer when you submit yourself in faith to the God who is merciful and gracious, or mercious, as we like to say. And so I pray that as we enter into the season, as we've already entered into the season of looking back at how God has begun His work through Christ in this world, that we would use the times that we have of remembering, looking back and celebrating how God brought Christ into the world, that we would use those opportunities as we gather with family and friends, as we talk to coworkers, to say, you can can understand what this life has always been meant to be, When you submit yourself to God, when you admit your need for His mercy and grace in your life, when you are able to say, I need a Savior in the way that Mary said, I need a Savior, and that God has been gracious toward me in revealing this Savior to me, and so i pray that we would have that opportunity and as we have those opportunities that we would be bold and courageous to speak that truth and say man i love you but you're not you're not understanding this life as god has designed it you're not understanding who you are in comparison to god then you are you are a proud man you're you are a proud woman And you need to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God because I'm afraid that at some point you're going to be beyond that. You're going to have decided in your mind that you don't need him. And what a sad day that will be when you come face to face with the creator and you don't know him as Savior and Lord. So, how beautiful it is that we have been able to recognize that for ourselves because God has shown his grace and mercy toward us. So, let's be those who show grace and mercy toward others by speaking the truth to them in love. That's my prayer. Let's pray it together. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we do pray that you would give us opportunities. And we do pray that you would give us boldness and courage in those opportunities to speak the truth of your word. Not because we view ourselves as being better than others, but because we have come to a knowledge of the truth by your grace and your mercy. And we earnestly desire those around us to understand you also, to understand your offer of salvation, to understand that though they are worthwhile as your creation, that they find their highest worth, they find their highest dignity as being your children, as being humble servants, as being those who have received mercy through faith. So God, I pray. God, we pray. Use us, God. Would you please use us? We desire to be used by you for your glory and for your honor, not for our own namesake, not for the sake of this church, not for the sake of us as individual believers, but for the sake of your name, for the glory of your name, so that you would be magnified, so that our souls would magnify the Lord and so that other souls would magnify the Lord. God, would you work through us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.